Well, good evening. We're thankful for your attendance tonight and the opportunity to encourage one another. We hope that you've had a good day. The weather, of course, is still warm, but we're thankful for the beautiful sunshine. We're thankful for the many blessings, physical blessings with, 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 with which God has blessed us and the opportunity to be here and assemble in this place. We're thankful for your encouragement tonight by being here. We have been saying recently that we look forward to our Sunday nights and the opportunity to encourage one another with some study, uh, with some thinking about some things, and the, the fact that really our Sunday nights will provide us an opportunity to maybe look at, look at some things a little more in depth, to challenge ourselves a little bit, maybe another way of saying it, uh, to consider some topics um, that we can really learn from. You know, we try to preach quite often from the pulpit, teach from our lessons, that life has to be a balance. There has to be some semblance of balance in most Almost everything that we do, that's really hard in today's world. So many people are shouting on one side, far side. So many people are shouting so far on the other side. It's hard to kind of find a balance. The one thing that usually comes to mind is so many people today want to say that we just need love and we just need to love one another and we need to love our children and, and that kind of thing. And that's true. But if we're being honest, then the balance of, of love on the other side sometimes is that love does involve discipline. And that's not what people want to hear. They don't think that, well, if I love someone, I'm not going to tell them they're wrong or I'm not going to try to confront them if there's an issue. But the truth is, is that we do need to love one another, but we have to have discipline, especially in regard to our relationships and even especially our children. We have to do our best to balance how we love them with the fact that they still need to be told when they're doing something wrong or incorrect with, with that discipline. You know, the Bible says in, in Revelation chapter 21 <clears throat> that the unbelieving will not inherit the kingdom of God, not inherit the kingdom of heaven, that the unbelieving will face an everlasting punishment. The Bible also says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that those who are practicing homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those things can be true, and yet I would encourage you and us to think about the balance of, as we come in contact with people who maybe believe, or in the first case, unbelieve, don't believe, or those who hold to such other ideas and things like homosexuality and, and many other sinful things, that while we don't simply love and accept them, we also have to maybe listen and think about their point of view and try to help them understand the truth. Not that we would be accepting of things that are against the word of God, but that also doesn't mean that we just turn someone away and say, that well, you can't be talked to, you can't be helped, you're just a sinner, and that's all that we have to do for you, no? There's got to be some type of balance of love and truth. There are a lot of questions. There are a lot of hard questions sometimes that we have to deal with. Our brother Jeff, I think, mentioned one this morning in our prayer. Why is it that bad things sometimes happen to good people? I can't answer that, to be honest. I can't stand before you in, in a biblical type of way and say that there is always perfect justice in this world. Why would it be that a, a tornado would, would jump over a field or an empty house and then level a, a children's home or an apartment building and, and kill lots of people? I can't answer that kind of question. I, I even think about the, the Pedigo family that we've been made aware of recently. Two young girls and a grandmother who are just driving down the road and yet their lives are altered forever by a terrible car crash, but through no, no fault of their own, they are now faced with this new challenge. Can, can anybody, can we answer that and say, well, that's perfect justice? But the thing that we need to consider and that we want to talk a little bit about tonight is, do the hard questions, even though they're hard, do the tough questions mean 
that there is no God. Because I'm sitting here telling you, they're hard questions. I, I, I don't know that I can answer them straight up and just say there's perfect justice. But do the hard questions and the tough questions in this life mean that there is no God? Tonight we want to talk a little bit about the question, well, what about slavery? If you have your outline in front of you, if you have your bulletin and you're following along, I worded it for the purposes of our outline or, or the bulletin for, does God, does Jehovah God, the God of the Bible, approve of slavery? There may, may be no tougher subject, even in today's world. I mean, it's not exactly practice, of course, obviously in the United States in the same way, but that doesn't mean that it's not a hot topic. Is it something to fear? Is it a question to avoid? Well, we hope the answer to that is no, because we're going to talk a little bit about it tonight, and I hope that we can come away, maybe not with perfect justice, maybe not with a perfect understanding or solution, but a better idea of what we can do, how we can think when we talk to people about this idea of slavery. Before we get into the lesson tonight, I'd like to share with you the resources that I use. I by no means try to hide anything or, or make you think that I have it all figured out. If I'm looking for answers, these are some of the places that I am going to go. The Daily Apologist is a website that we talked about, I believe it was just about a year ago, if I remember correctly, June or July, July of August of 2020, that we preached a series of lessons on apologetics. And at that time, I mentioned the Daily Apologist website to you. It is good because it's fairly new. It's something that's, that's new to uh, social media, to the area, to, you know, to people. Dr. Dean Meadows that runs that particular website is a, a younger kind of guy who, who makes YouTube videos and uses social media to really try to hone in on our young people. And not so much our young children, obviously, as these are some deep questions, but our college-age children. And I, I believe, if I've heard correctly, he has just recently taken a new job to work with two different universities in the, in the Virginia area. Because we see our young people, when they're at home and they're maybe forced to come to services by their parents, they've got a little bit of understanding. But when they get out to college and they're on their own, they begin to really struggle. And so focusing in on these young people and this type of idea is something that this website, again, the Daily Apologist, is going to be very encouraging for us. A little bit in contrast to that is the Christian Courier. You've heard me mention the Christian Courier a lot. The Christian Courier is one of the key places that I go to. They have a website that you can use. We have material in our library when you're looking for information. Now, the difference there is that a lot of that material is a little bit older. Don't misunderstand me. It's not, not true. It's still true, but it's a little bit older. Brother Wayne Jackson ran the Christian Courier for years. He passed away about six, month ago, six months ago, a little over the age of 80. And so that material is a little bit older as he was writing it. His, young, his sons are trying to carry that on, keep that website going to keep that information flowing, but it's a little bit different. Still very true, but maybe just a little bit older and a little bit of a different approach than something like the Daily Apologist. Think Magazine is put on by Focus Press out of some of our brothers in the Nashville area, Dr. Brad Harib being one of those. I actually found one of the Think Magazines that was entitled Slavery. A good source of information. I'm going to use some of that tonight. We subscribe to this here at the congregation. They come to the secretary's office, usually to Faith's office. And I've been trying to make sure if nobody takes them, they find their way into my office. But they're certainly welcome to anybody who would like to uh, pick one up. A lot of the ones I have are from 2011, 12, uh, 15, 16. They're older copies, but still lots of good information. And then I have, we have used the World Video Bible School videos a lot here on Wednesday nights. World Video Bible School has a lot of uh, 
material, a lot of print material. You can go to their website and find that. But they have one of the great collections, in my opinion, of YouTube videos out there. We have used them a bunch. So much so that there's lots of old videos, but they are still adding new videos. Even last year, during the pandemic, our brother Don Blackwell did a new series of videos about maybe how Christians should handle all the things that were going on during the pandemic. There is a wealth of knowledge. A lot of you enjoy uh, preachers, speakers like our brother Kyle Butt and his work on evolution and science. He had one on the World Video Bible School uh, YouTube page about slavery and atheism. I want you to know these things. I want you to be able to use them as you have questions. I'd love for you to come to me. I'd love to answer your questions and us talk about it, but there are lots of good resources as well. I wanted to share that with you, but as we get into our lesson a little bit tonight, there may be no greater counter-apologetic, no greater counter-apologetic against Christianity than the subject of Old Testament slavery. And one thing that atheists and skeptics, and again, I use those terms very carefully, I want you to know, as we said at the beginning, that people can proclaim to be atheists, they can proclaim to be skeptics and yet still have an opportunity to hear the truth and come to a knowledge of the truth. So we don't want to just simply lump them together and say, oh, those terrible, awful people, they're, they're no good. Well, we maybe can still help them. We can maybe still have discussions with them. But atheists and skeptics will often say, my morality, themselves speaking, my morality is better than yours because your God thinks owning people is okay. Or maybe they make claims that God approves owning people as property. Or that God approves beating slaves within an inch of their life. Or passing down slaves or buying people from other cultures or even more. And the question is, does the God of the Bible approve such things? Or maybe, does he even command those kinds of things? It's going to help us to consider that for just a few moments tonight through the rest of this lesson because it is so tough and it is such a bit of a divisive topic to talk about and to try to understand. What I'd like for you to think about, though, and it's in your outline if you have your bulletin in front of you, is maybe it would help us to rephrase the question a little bit. To ask the question, is there a difference between what we call antebellum or chattel slavery and Old Testament slavery. If you've got antebellum, as we might say, or even going back as far as colonial American slavery, chattel slavery, and Old Testament slavery. Because that's what people are saying. They're saying they're the same thing. And if God has made legislation, if he talks about it and says it's okay, then your God must be no good or there is no God for approving slavery. Now, one thing that we need to clear as well or understand, the word chattel there on the screen, if you've never heard it, the word chattel simply means a personal possession. Your furniture could be called chattel. We don't use that phrase. Your car could be called chattel. It's a personal possession. So when we say chattel slavery, what we're referring to is slavery where someone maybe is, is owned. It's a personal possession. That slave is a personal possession. Now, very quickly, before we get into our four differences that we want to talk about tonight, let me offer a few other things up front that I think would help us in our discussion. Number one, slavery was never the ideal will of God. It was never the ideal will of God that one man should own another. Do you remember the phrase all throughout Genesis, but especially Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27? We are made in the image of God. Of God. 
male and female, all people, black and white and any other color and any other ethnicity or any other nationality, we are all made in the image of God. And when it comes to slavery, it was never the ideal will of God that one man should own another. Let's just get that out there in the front of this lesson. Number two, think back to the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was a perfect place. There was no sin, at least for a time. Sin, of course, enters into the world by Eve and by Adam. And we know that once sin enters the world, there's going to be problems. And if there's going to be problems, if there's going to be an imperfect situation, such as the fact that there's now sin in the world, then there's going to be things that God would need to regulate. What happens when there's a criminal activity? What happens when there's criminal activity? What happens, think about post-garden, post-garden of Eden. What happens when a person accrues more debt than they could pay back? How are we going to handle that? Well, sometimes, I don't know if you're aware of this, and you probably are, I'm being a little facetious, but sometimes when those things happen, and we have those happen between relationships, those relationships become abusive when there's problems, when there's criminal activity, when there's maybe more debt than a person could, could pay back. Let me ask you this. Do you think that God wanted someone to go to prison? Do you think that that was God's ideal will, that someone would be, have to be placed in prison? Or maybe the idea is, once sin entered the world, there are going to be problems, and if there is a problem, then God is going to help regulate it. Maybe that's the way that we should consider this discussion. People in the Old Testament were allowed to have servants but the Mosaic law in many ways specif- um, in many ways managed the practice so that it no- did not involve evil things like abuse. It was not God's ideal will, but maybe, just maybe God needed to regulate things in an imperfect situation so that people would know how to handle themselves. And that's going to lead us into this discussion. And even number three, maybe, just maybe, if we're going to talk about slavery with people, we need to consider these two situations, antebellum or chattel slavery and an Old Testament slavery. People want to link them together and then make a broad statement about God, but maybe, just maybe, we need to understand those, and that's what we're going to do for the last few minutes we have together here tonight. Four differences to consider. Number one, violence. Let's consider violence. And if you have your Bibles under each of these points, there will be at least one passage that we can turn to and talk about. But let's consider slavery and violence. Slavery in the Old Testament was not as violent as some people think it was. The Israelites were not to rule over their servants ruthlessly as the Egyptians had ruled over them. In fact, I love the way it's worded in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 14 through 18. Notice God says, You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and it be sin to you. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin." You shall not pervert justice due to the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. But notice verse 18. Do you want to know how to rule yourselves, how to take things into consideration? But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, 
and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I command you to do this thing. The command that thou shalt not oppress a hired servant back in verse number 14 is followed by the reminder, remember you were once slaves. How do we treat someone when we've been in their shoes? Isn't that what we teach our children? Put yourself in their shoes. Well, how do we treat people when we've been in their shoes? Sometimes not so well. But when somebody says, or that little voice says, don't forget, you were once there, we treat people a little differently. And God tells them, the Egyptian taskmasters reminded them, the Egyptian taskmasters had beaten them, forced them to labor, and abused them to the point that they were helpless. They were crying out in sorrow. And he says, if that's what was done to you, you may have servants, but you don't treat them the same way. If a master severely hurt a servant and the, and the master's intentions for doing so were dubious, the servant, under Old Testament law, Exodus chapter 21, had to be set free immediately. Does that sound like what we know of as slavery, especially in our history? A master who was murdering a slave was like murdering anyone else and was punishable by death. No one was given absolute control over a servant or license to treat a servant in just any way he pleased. The Israelites were not even permitted to treat animals as badly as some other nations treated their slaves. And unlike pre-Civil War America, ancient Israel had conditions allowing a servant to leave his master without fear of appraisal. Does that sound like what we usually think of when we think about chattel slavery here in these United States of America? Not exactly. Also, unlike American slavery, the servant could flee to another town and no one who encountered him was responsible for returning him to the master. These are things that people who say these are the same and God must be wrong or there must not be a God, they don't even know that those things exist in the Old Testament. You see, there were four things that were wrong, the chattel slavery that we're going to talk about and see the difference between them and Old Testament slavery. And the first one is violence or physical abuse. It was not allowed in the Old Testament. Number two, natal alienation. And by natal alienation, we mean the forced separation of the slave from his people. The forced separation of the slave from his people. There was no natal alienation in the Old Testament laws about Israelites, slaves, and servants. They were not allowed to kidnap a Jew in order to make him or her a servant. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse number 7 says, If a man be found stealing any of his brethren of the children of Israel, and maketh merchandise of him, or selleth him, then that thief shall die, and thou shalt put evil away from among you. Unlike other countries and other nations, places like Athens and Rome, in Israel, kidnapping into slavery, forcefully separating a slave from their people, from their family, was punishable by death. Thus, the slave trade that we read about and know was a real thing that existed. The slave trade in the Old Testament was outlawed. One could become a servant in ancient Israel for a number of reasons, including poverty, normal debts, or a debt owed due to thievery. A thief could serve his victim in order to reimburse him for his crime. And although the law 
included provisions for the poor and destitute. Remember us recently talking about Leviticus chapter 19 and verse number 10, leaving the corners of the field. Although the law included provisions for the poor and destitute, for some folks who were poverty stricken, serving a master and taking advantage of their care and protection was another opportunity, another welfare operation or option, excuse me. When we think about slavery, the way that it's listed and described and the way it was practiced, I mean, we're not trying to hide or say that anything's not true, but the way that it was handled sometimes in our country versus the way it was handled in the Old Testament, there's a difference. One of those is that people were not forcefully separated from their families. Number three, dishonor or the slave being actually chattel or a possession. The slave in the Old Testament is not a possession. Being a Jewish servant was a temporary position because a servant could not be held indefinitely unless he wished to be. He or she had to be freed after six years in a Sabbath, as in a Sabbath year. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 12 through 18. We won't take the time to read all of that, but that, that entire section discusses bond servants. Servants. Some people might say slavery. And we see that they were to be freed after six years. However, when a servant faced the decision of whether to leave a master's service, they sometimes decided to stay. When we think about, again, the United States of America, so often they were running for their lives. If they got a chance to be free from masters who would punish them and sometimes kill them, they would go and stay gone. And they would have to hide from those who would turn them back in. But some people, especially in the Old Testament way of doing things, might decide to remain. The law says, Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 16, If your servant says to you, I will not go out from you, because he loves you and your household, since he is well off with you. Wait a minute. These things are not connecting. If you were to sit down and talk with someone who simply wants to say there is no God because of this fact, because the Old Testament discusses the regulation of slavery, then maybe we need to think about some of these things. Being in a good home presented the possibility of gaining a share of the master's inheritance sometimes. Perhaps the entire estate. If a servant chose to leave, the law also governed that situation so that he or she would not be abused by a vindictive master who is angry over them leaving. All of these regulations are there, as we said a few moments ago, to help with something that was not ideal but yet came to pass and thus needed to be regulated. Dishonor, being considered property, was not a part of slavery in the Old Testament. And then fourth and finally, we would notice here, there was no social death, or there was social death, in the way that the slave was a social non-entity in American slavery, we might say, here in the States. And the horrendous practices that were sometimes practiced during the days of the Civil War and those kinds of times, these things occurred. People were treated as a social non-entity. But in the Old Testament, the slave had rights. In addition to those rights mentioned in regard to his departure, in Israel, the slave was given human and legal rights unheard of in their contemporary societies. For example, under Mosaic law, servants could marry members of the master's family. They could even marry the master. If this occurred, the new mate, previously a servant, had to be treated with the proper respect afforded to any spouse Exodus chapter 21 
and verse number 9. When we think about the way that things were done, when we see the word slavery, most of us have a strong, visceral reaction. Here in the States, we are familiar with the horrendous practices that we've been mentioning so far that certain slaveholders inflicted upon their slaves. We have been reared to hate slavery because here's the truth. And the reason we've been reared to hate slavery, the truth is that chattel slavery, the one that we are familiar with, is a clear violation of many biblical principles. And that's just a fact. People who want to lump them together and then try to take and branch off of that and say there is no God, maybe don't have something to stand on. When you really try to break down and understand the two types of slavery. As Americans, we still hear the word slavery and it just jars us. We know the effects that it has even on our, the societal fabric of America today. But we need to do our best to understand, to try to study so that we can know how we ought to handle things. And I would even submit to you as a final thought here, the final key that maybe we need as Christians is simply knowledge. It's understanding and it's knowledge. The more familiar that we are with the relevant Bible text, the relevant Bible area of the scriptures, as well as we are with world history, the more that we study and are familiar with those things, the clearer the picture becomes. You know, when we talked about earlier those people that are on one side yelling and screaming and the people that are on the other side yelling and screaming, often they don't understand everything going on in between or everything that's going on on one side or the other. I'm not saying that we need to be accepting of folks who are doing sinful things or holding to sinful ideas, but the more that we can educate ourselves and be knowledgeable, not only about what they're saying, but more importantly about what exactly the Bible says, then the more we are able to be, we're going to be able to have a clearer picture, to be able to have a clearer discussion. I'll tell you, I'll be real honest with you, I don't know before the last week or so in studying this lesson if I could have sat down and laid out arguments such as this without considering and studying some of these other resources and things that we've talked about. What I can encourage you to do is the same thing I would do. We need to keep listening. We do need to keep loving. Not just fully accepting, but keep loving people. Listening to the things that they say, the questions that they have. We need to keep understanding that we're not going to have all the answers up front, but that if we will be able to discuss with someone, we'll be able to say, let me think about it, let me consider, let me look it up, let's open our Bibles and study, and we'll try to come to an understanding. We don't have perfect knowledge. We can't explain it all just off the top of our head, but we don't have to be afraid of anything either. With the Word of God and some study, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to fear. The folks who have these questions, they are truly struggling. They need to be loved and to be talked to and tried to help through working through these things when they don't make sense. And we need to do our best to be prepared as best we can so that we can help as we have an opportunity. Because I'm, I'm telling you, uh, one of the things that, that the Daily Apologist that uh, Brother Dean Meadows does there is goes on YouTube and will try to have discussions with atheists that you can then go and watch as they try to to kindly and politely of course have a discussion but you'd be surprised you might learn something from watching things like that people are out there they are willing sometimes to listen and have discussions and we need to be ready to engage as best that we can 
I hope that this lesson will be encouraging. I hope maybe it might cause you to have a few more questions and you can con continue to study those things and we can continue to talk about them, strengthening our faith as we try to serve God. Tonight, as we conclude our lesson, we extend the Lord's invitation. And that is simply that you may be here tonight and you're not a child of God. You need to put on Christ in baptism. We'll be singing to encourage you that you would make that most important step. It's the greatest commitment in this life so that we can begin to live faithfully serving him and have the hope of heaven. But as many of us can attest to here, that's a hard road. We hear things. We see things. We have people discuss with us, and we struggle, and we question sometimes. Maybe you're here tonight, and you're struggling with something. Maybe you're here tonight, there's sin that's a part of your life that you would like to be rid of. We would be willing to pray with you and for you so that you can be made whole, so that we together can be on the path to heaven above. We would gladly encourage you, even this evening, as we stand together and as we sing.